hey welcome everyone to through a glass darkly radio you and you are listening to united public radio a production of the intro music was mark of the doomslayer by carl casey at white bat audio and uh today we have a very special guest so let me tell you a little bit about our guest mr edward reardon Edward Reardon began remote viewing in 1999 with a system that was an offshoot of CRV, that's coordinate remote viewing for folks not in the know. He has since switched to coordinate remote viewing and as he finds it to be a better fit for his skills. In 2013, he trained with the highly respected and highly skilled former military remote viewer, Paul H. Smith. He has been contra a contracted associate of Transception Inc., an R&D company specializing in the exploration or exploitation of CRV and other methods to lawfully extract technology from the state of nature as a means of building, licensing, and enforcing its intellectual property, uh, IP, portfolio of patents and copyrights. He served as associate counsel for the Institute for Neuroscience and Consciousness Studies, INACS, contributing to their remote viewing study group. He is the founder and host of Austin Remote Viewers. They meet up in grouply, group meetings bi-weekly at INAX in Austin, Texas, where they met from 2011 to 2015. In 2018, Edward joined the Crypto Viewing Group, producing highly relevant remote viewing works on a weekly basis alongside some of the top remote viewers in the private sector. And today he works or does a ton of work for the Future Forecasting Group, among a number of other pursuits. So with that, I'd like to welcome Edward Reardon. Hey, How Sean. you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Congratulations on having a radio show. And that's very, very cool, man. So thanks for having it's, me on. Yeah, such as it is. Such as it is, my friend. We're just kind of growing from scratch. Uh, but it's been great. It's been great. So the first uh, two guests we had, Dr. J John Brandenburg, the first week, he was a plasma physicist. He's done a lot of work on Mars and kind of the death of Mars and things like that. If you're familiar with the Joe McMonagall remote viewing of Mars, his scientific research on the composition of various isotopes of xenon uh, on Mars yeah. is atypical yeah. from the rest of the solar system. It's actually uh, consistent with places on Earth where they've detonated hydrogen bombs. So anyway, wow. you can you can kind of do your own uh, come to your own conclusion on that. The second guest was Dr. David Morehouse, as you know, was a uh, remote viewer in the Project Stargate uh, program, along with one of the gentlemen who trained you was Paul H. Smith who's also a member of that program. So you're kind of the second generation, the next generation of remote viewers. If, you know, you take remote viewing in a very uh, strict definition of it, which was the process that was developed by Ingo Swan and SRI and all those folks. So given the introduction I gave you, what are you, what are you doing today? What kind of work with remote viewing are you focused on? Well, I, uh, as per the introduction, uh, I started working with the crypto, what was called crypto viewing back in 2018. That, that group has now changed the name and we're the future forecasting group now. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And so we do projects um, every every week, every single week we put out remote viewing projects. Uh, so that's a full schedule there with those guys. Um, in between that, uh, I do, you know, what I call my vacation targets, which are interesting targets that a buddy of mine will select for me. I don't have any time frame on those. You know, I do them as I do them and I'm done when I'm done. I'm doing my exploratory remote viewing work, studying my brain, um, the process and how my brain processes the quote unquote remote viewing uh, stimulus. So it's just busy constantly with remote viewing. It's it um, it's been remote viewing has been the guiding force in my life since uh, for over twenty almost twenty five years now. So it is the guiding force. So and it you know that's that's what I do all the time. Now, I kind of gave folks the cliff notes on how you got into this program or kind of into remote viewing, not necessarily a program. Can talk talk us through that journey? Like, how did you suddenly decide that you wanted to basically dedicate or devote your life to it? Well, the first time I heard about remote viewing was in 1996. Uh, this was a year after the, the program had been declassified. And a guy named uh, Jeff Schnabel uh, put out a documentary about it. And it was on Discovery Channel, Learning Channel, one of those. But I've, I recorded it on VHS. I was already interested in, these, you know, in, in the realms of these things already for a long time. So when I saw that documentary and all the main players were in there, Ingo Swan was in there, Mel Riley was in there. Lynn Buchanan was in there. Ed Dames was in there. Um, I think Hal Putoff might have even been in there. But they had all these guys in there. And by the by the way, random random question because I might I want to might be able to establish some context you might not know. So when they showed Mel Riley, how did they introduce him? Do you recall? Was Mel Riley like was, a he like was a Native the, American headdress. They did show of? him with a Native American headdress uh-huh. on. And, and when they introduced when they showed General Stubblebeim did they kind of like show them in some like purple haze sort of? Probably, I I I think so. Yeah, yeah. And so just a little bit, a little bit of background potentially. Again, I I I don't know if this is the case, but Schnabel has kind of a reputation for writing these books that discredit all sorts of different topics, and there is a belief, and I will just say belief because I can't confirm or deny it that he is a member of a set of operations that are called strategic um, strategic communications. And strategic communications are something the intelligence community uses to shape narratives and, mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that. So if you're wondering why Mel Riley was, show, was first shown instead of in a suit and tie, he's kind of like smoking a pipe and I don't know if he's smoking <laughs> a pipe or not, but he's like wearing a native American headdress. Yeah. And also you have stubble bime and kind of the purple haze. It's made to look like they're crazy. Right. They're, they, they did the, the, the documentary starts out and they're playing Mel as memory serves Mel's driving his truck down, a, down a road. And I guess Schnabel's with him or whatever. And they're playing a song. Um, Kitty. Well, I think it's a Kitty Wells song, like an old Kitty Wells song. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of make it out like they're, they're one, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but mm-hmm. the documentary, it's, it's, the, it's that's not a mistake. That's not a mistake. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's not. I mean, they can, yeah. I, I think they had to kind of maybe do it that way because of the, 
content of the of the show. But other than that, I'd say they they portrayed them quite quite well. Um, mm. In they kind of let kind of let you know what the individuals, in my opinion, anyway, what the individuals might have been a little more interested in. Like Ed Dames was a UFO guy, you know. Mel Riley had an experience with a Native American when he was younger and cha changed the course of his yep. life. And so that was a big part of his life. Lynn Buchanan was, uh, you know, how do you how do you go into this crazy realm and, and maintain a marriage and a normal life? You know, that was kind of the gist of of him. Um, and then, you know, Stubblebine and, and uh, the, some of those guys, they were like more hardcore military guys saying we want you know we we were going into these realms the russians were doing it we were going to and but it was it was such a fascinating introduction to this it made it every it made all that realm more real to me mm -hmm. and um like i say i was already into psychic things and tarot cards and psychic readings and doing all that kind of stuff but it took a couple of years before anything was available. So in 99, Ed Dames uh, had a VHS training course available. And that was the only thing that I knew uh, that was out there. I didn't know anybody was giving it uh, training. I just didn't, I had no clue. That was the only thing I could have access to. And it was a very crude start, man. It was, <laughs> it was rough. For a long time, um, and then I moved out here, and then I met all these CRV people out here. I, unbeknownst to me, Hal Putoff's office is about two miles away from my house. I didn't know that. You know, when I when I moved here, I had no idea. I got to go and and, and hang out with Hal Putoff and, and meet him and stand in front of Ingo, one of Ingo Swan's paintings in his office. Uh, Paul Smith was was nice enough to take me over there, and. Um, but then I, I wanted to get more into the CRV style uh, per Ingo because I was reading a lot of Ingo stuff, studying a lot of Ingo stuff, and getting my mind a little clearer into what he was doing as opposed to Ed Dames' interpretation of it. He he changed some things around and kind of Ed Dames did, you know. And I wanted to get out of that and, and more into the uh, what Ingo was trying to do. And that that was a big shift. Uh, but moving here to Austin, man, it was there was a lot of CRV people that I got in contact with. And that I started the Austin Remote Viewers Meetup Group probably two weeks after I moved here. And unbeknownst to me, I couldn't believe it. I got I had the first meeting, and like eleven people showed up. I could. Where did, where did you come it. from when you before you before Austin? Where were you coming from? Uh, we lived in in Arizona. I lived in Arizona okay. for 16 years. Yeah. And so you were doing uh, it all by yourself. Just trying to figure it out. Completely. Yeah, totally. I did go and, and get some, you know, put my butt in a chair, you know, with, with Ed Dames and uh, his then training assistant FM Bonsell in early 2002 for a, just a weekend workshop. And then after that, uh, I continued on for about 10 months with a remote training with uh, fm just to kind of keep it going and then after that i was completely on my own 
uh, till I moved here. So we're talking 10 years of... When you say remote training, though, this is back in the day. So you're probably maybe getting instructions on email and telephone calls. Is that, was that how it was done? I had to send him my sessions through a fax machine. At least it wasn't the mail. Dude, it could have... It, if it was before that, it would have been through the mail. Yeah, it was very crude, man. It was, it was, it was a long time ago. Um, people really need to understand how fortunate people are today to have yeah. access to all this stuff. A lot of it for free. You can get all kinds of training. You can get the manuals. You can get all that kind of stuff. videos. I mean, I got almost five hundred videos showing. Remote, live remote viewing examples. And you mean like VHS videos? Well, I mean, sorry, let me step back. You're talking about right now, you're talking you're talking now YouTube videos, but back yeah. then, did you have to do, use anything with like VHS videos? Or it was a VHS that? training program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I didn't have a TV. I had a computer and I had to get a, a video card that I could screw in a little coax cable on the back and put the other one into the VHS player and play the video through my big CRT monitor, which I lost like 80% of the color from the video. So I'm like trying to figure out what he's writing on the board because, you know, the, the video quality was terrible. Uh, but that is what was available at the time. And I, I'm glad I had it. It got me started. It got me started. And that, that's what was really, really cool about it. So it was a wild, kind of a wild west thing. Yeah. And I had nobody out there to work with. Or The only thing I had was um, I, I had some friends of mine from the job I had. I said, can you, I need you guys to pick me some targets. So they would write down something Lake Michigan on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, seal it. And I, I put a target ID number on there, you know? Um, so there was not even a feedback photo. It was just something written on a piece of paper. It, it was, it was rough, but at the time it was really cool and exciting. You know, I can look back on it fondly. What were the other people in your life saying when you were kind of obsessing over this stuff? Cause I mean, it's really, I mean, you really don't have like daily feedback. It's kind of like, well, at the, at the, do. at the time, um, I was, already heavily involved with uh, psychic things and training and paranormal things and, you know, Reiki. And, uh, you know, I was, that was what my life was, you know, that was a, that's what my entire life was. And so when I took up remote viewing, uh, it was just, okay, yeah, that's what he's doing now, you know, uh, for the small click of people that I had, I didn't, I didn't have a, a huge, group of people, you know, I had a, a small clique of people who, you know, were in, interested in the things that I was interested in. So it was just, it was just another thing that I was doing to them. You know. uh, otherwise, I, otherwise I didn't tell anybody about any, anything. You know. All right. So you moved to Austin and this is circa 2000. Something? 2011, 2011. Yeah. Oh, 2011. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the internet's gotten a little bit better, probably not quite the, Zoom, not really out yet. You might have Skype, maybe, at that time, or maybe it's, yeah, it's probably, not Skype. probably. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't use it. You know, um, what what was cool was that once I moved here and uh, I made the really good decision to start the the meetup group because I wanted to meet people and stuff like that in, in a new town. 
but it, it really took off. And I ran that for God, five years, I think. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was every week. Sometimes it was every other week. Um, so it was, it was really great. And I met all kinds of people. That's how I met Paul Smith and, and some of the other people out here, uh, who, um, really helped me with get my, my mind more into a CRV, uh, style of, of doing remote viewing and it changed my remote viewing. And, um, and that's why I met, uh, Jerry Harthcock, who the guy you, you mentioned, um, transception, He's a, mm-hmm. a engineer and a patent holder, and um, he came to one of my meetups, mm-hmm. and he he had a video that he he asked if he could show in, in a DVD, you know, and it was a video of him remote viewing. He had a monitor and somebody videotaped it. And that was the first time that I had seen. I watched from the beginning to the end. The entire session and it was the first time i had seen anybody do that prior to that you know we were talking about that schnabel documentary mm-hmm. there's a little clip in there where you have ed dames monitoring mel riley and mel is you know remote viewing i studied that 20 seconds of video over and over and over again because i was like what is he, what is going on here how is he doing this you know and and that was all that was in there. I was like, man, I wish I had access to the entire session that he had so I could study him going through this process. So Jerry had shown that, and that inspired me right away. So I did some work for him. He videotaped it. He showed me the videos. I watched myself remote viewing, completely changed everything. I started videotaping and then got my YouTube. I started posting my stuff uh, on when you said that changed everything it sounds like there were two turns the first is when you saw someone else doing it for the first time after having learned it and that seemed a light bulb goes off in your head and then the second time after you record yourself and you watch yourself like a second light bulb went through can you i know it's hard to explain but what kind of transformation happened what changed in your perspective when you did it that way the change is that when you're remote viewing and you're in a part of that session that where an actual remote viewing is taking place and it's over you know you're looking at it on like on a video so you already know what the feedback is um and and everything so when i when i'm when i'm looking at that video knowing the feedback and i'm going wow that's where i was in that moment i i it was it was a completely different experience watching it. Cause when you're remote viewing, you're in this, you're not in the moment, man, you're in the second. I mean, you're in it, you know, and the next thing you know, it's over. And it's like, Hey, I got, you know, and then a couple of days later, it's hard to even go back and remember the session uh, without looking through the pages of, of all the data. So going and watching the video of it from start to finish, it was a completely different experience of watching myself go through that experience of when that drawing came out and holy crap, you know? Uh, so it, it was, it was very, very interesting to watch. I, I, I'd say that in, you know, I learned more about the process of remote viewing by watching that than 
pretty much anything, pretty much anything mm -hmm. else, you know, because I just wasn't, you know, taught anything like that, you know. So watching it, especially watching myself, I, w I was like, oh, oh, you know, oh, that's what happens there. That's what happened there. That's what happened there. And it was just like, doo -doo -doo, you know, a whole, a whole line of, of things. So then I was, I've decided that if only I had this 10 years ago, it could have saved me years of frustration. So I decided to start posting my stuff on YouTube, full sessions, start to finish. And that had never been done before. No one had ever done that. They'd show little clips here, little clips there, but I, the entire thing, um, start to finish. And I didn't edit. And that upset some people. They were like, can't you edit this down? It's like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, everybody watching, wants everything perfectly they were, packaged. Like, this right? is like watching paint dry. You know, they, they were criticizing me. And I said, absolutely not, because this is exactly what happened. And if it was me, I would want to see every second of it. Nothing edited. So I didn't edit any of them. I put them all up, uh, the entire thing. And um, I'm still putting I'm still putting those videos up. The, so my my, my focus has changed, but which specific YouTube channel can they find that on? So it's my name, Edward Reardon. Okay, at YouTube or yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah, if they go into YouTube, just type in Edward Reardon Remote Viewing, and they'll they'll find my they'll find me. Okay. All right. So when you first started doing this on your own. You obviously believed it was possible to remote view, but was there a singular moment where you were like, holy crap, this is real? Or was it a series of moments that, because there's a difference between belief and knowledge, right? When did you know it was real, like in your gut? Well, I, I, I knew it was real when I watched that documentary before I'd even tried a remote viewing session. By, by looking at those guys and listening to Ingo Swan and seeing Mel Riley, you know, draw that thing. I knew it was real as soon as I saw it. And so when I got in, started practicing it and doing, doing it myself, my vote, my motivation changed, started changing uh, as far as the, the purpose for why I was interested in it, which mm -hmm. was that, um, I was starting to get kind of disillusioned with a lot of things that I was doing um, before that. And remote viewing was, um, in my mind, something that was an attempt to, to be as pure as possible when perceiving something uh, via remote viewing. Because we're blind to the target as part of the protocol, that eliminates a lot of the preconceived notions about things, you know, and I was coming off of a, a many years of in spiritual realm kind of stuff and getting a bit disillusioned with quite a bit of it. So remote viewing was, I wanted, I wanted the truth. I want something real. You know, I want to be able to go through this experience, get some feedback and know if actually, if something actually did happen, you know what I mean? I didn't want to fool myself. I, I, I wanted something real. I wanted to experience something real. And that's what the blind protocol and the whole deal um, mm -hmm. provided. It provided that. It still does. Even though, uh, you know, the whole, you know, there's still some shady realms in there um, as far as 
the the po potential for a remote viewer to get swept up in in a fantasy mm -hmm. uh that is it that doesn't mean it doesn't happen it is still a possibility um and that's an argument that i i still argue about that even even how with my you, teammates how do you prevent yourself or i shouldn't say prevent but how do you minimize the possibility or potential for your imagination to crowd out your perception of reality you know, perception of something that's really out there well the the i'll put it in a couple different categories of answers in in the crv realm they have uh protocols in there to where you you can attempt to put those imaginary things or over analytical things in a column and go back to perception only and not you know, getting a clear mental image and that kind of thing. So there, there it's like, are, see, if, if you see something that looks like a truck and you say, Oh, it looks like a truck. That's you would put that in the bucket of analytical overlay is kind of what you're saying, right? Well, you, could you be would, a truck, but you, you would you get careful about, it. you could get perceptions of something is moving. It's heavy. It's rolling. And then, it, and then that can bring associative memory association of a truck and, and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, so then those, there's, there's a place for that kind of stuff, you know, to be put in, in as far as the structure goes to help you to recognize when that's happening and get back to the describing the, the, the perceptual stuff. Um, but that, that's as far as, as like CRV goes. What I have done in my own personal work of exploratory work and how my brain is processing these types of stimulus, what parts of my brain are, are recognized, are getting stimulated by this input um, and how, and how my brain is processing this information. In that, the whole explanation of it begins to change as to what could be happening and what part of the brain is making that happen uh, and how does that work as far as connecting to memories, um, completing circuits in neural in the neural nets or not allowing that to happen and allowing allowing the the neurons to remain open and, and continue moving forward in the brain get into a conceptual area of the brain um it, there's a lot there's a lot more to it than just it's aol put it in that column there, there's a lot more to it to help the the viewer to understand what's going on but as far as what's real and what is not real what i can say is that it there are times in a remote viewing session where I can say, and I have said it, there's something about this target is not real. This it's not true, you know, and I get the feedback and it's something that's like, ah, that's goof, that's goofy, you know, and that that's like nutty stuff, you know, that's fake, that's fake. And then, um, then you, you, you begin to categorize the feeling of what is real. Mm. And there are certain qualities to certain perceptions that for me, I have a kind of a list of, of what those things are and a couple of different techniques that I've developed for myself um, to help me to, to get a, a better sense of what is real, or, or I will call it an actual remote viewing is taking place. You know, because just because you do a remote viewing session doesn't mean a remote viewing took place. Um, but it takes a lot of a lot of dedication to get to the point of 
being able to recognize the quality of a, of a perception that is real and and being able to build build the confidence levels of of what is real you know as opposed to what is imagination or you you've gone lost you know memory comparator has come up and now you're just describing that and the remote viewing has ended you know let's put a pin in that cuz i want to talk about that in the second hour kind of the biological basis of not basis but the mechanisms of remote viewing but before we get to that if if you consider the probably hundreds to thousands of targets well that's another there's always there's always terminology too target is a very military laden terminology i call it a range of time and space so okay. i went through and started I, I after all those years and i started to get kind of disillusioned with people as well as their systems and i started to understand that remote viewing protocols are really the the way that that individual remote views and they've they've back engineered how they do it and then you may find some people that perceive things similar to the way they do or maybe really like they do and they do really well with that system and you have may have another system that is a back engineer of how that person perceives uh things and some people resonate with that and they do well with that system but i i started to kind of get a little I started to understand that there that uh, everyone has their own way of doing things. There's no there's no one way to do it. People's brains and their minds are are different, and so one just because it works for one person, it does it may not work for the other person, as well as the language that is used. So I started looking at why is it called a target. I kind of get why it's called a target, but what is it actually? And I spent a lot of time contemplating that, and I finally just brought it down to, in my mind, the base of it, which is it's a range of time and space that the viewer is attempting to perceive. And I think target is kind of a strange word for that. I don't, I don't, I still use it because it's so entrained, but. In my mind, it is a range of time and space. That's what it is to me. To me, that's what it is. So with various ranges of time and space that you've been given, so coordinates, you've been given lots of coordinates, right? Which is what this range of time and space would identify. And they're not really necessarily real coordinates. They just symbolize... An an ID, uh, yeah. A set of random numbers and letters to indicate that there is something to for me to go in remote view. Yeah, a software program would call it like a hash table or something like that, yeah. right? Where they kind of randomize. Okay. Throughout your career, what would you say has been the most consequential hit that you've had? And I, by hit, I mean you were ag- extremely accurate on the target and um, it, w- you know, it was useful in some way to, to a client or yourself, maybe. I would say probably um, my what I call my ominous feeling sessions uh, that I put out in November of 2017. Mm-hmm. And uh, those sessions were based off of a strange type of sensation that I had experienced right here, right, right where I'm in this room that I'm in. And um, it was a strange thing, and I decided to 
use remote viewing to try to flush out what that was. And I'm glad I did because I, I, I could have easily have said, ah, that was weird on with the day, you know, and then just leave. And I, it, Sean, it was a fraction of, of a second away from me not doing those sessions. I could have easily have just turned and gone on with my day and I would have never have done those. So I'm, I'm very glad that I did those. Um, but what it immediately turned into was uh, a virus situation um, with a very specific look mm-hmm. to it in the veins, in the blood, in the fibers, uh, in the blood. And then on you know sessions later and locations and people and you know, all, all the, all the other stuff. And, and to be very clear, this stuff is uploaded to YouTube and it was uploaded in 2017 and it's there. It was right uploaded. And it people was uploaded, can go yeah. and verify this. Anyway, people, yeah. I think people know where you're headed, but you know, we can be explicit. With yeah. Being, you don't need yeah. to say the C word, but you can probably get away with the P word. And well, uh, it was one of those things where, um, I did them and I put them up. I put them up there right after I did them. And even at my own scrutiny, because it's like, you don't have any, I have no feedback for this. I probably look like a, an idiot, you know? Uh, but two years later, um, I started, the feedback started to come in. You know? And then a year and a half after that, more feedback came in. And then a year after that, more feedback came in. Uh, so that's one, of the, that's one of those things where the feedback is still coming in. Um, so mm. as far as significant ones, um, that was, that was pretty, pretty significant in there. Not my favorite one, uh, but I'd say, you know, but, that, but, no, but I think that was, I think that accomplished the, the objective for something interesting, right? I think that was extremely, when you said the feedback continues to come in and you've been very careful and I appreciate that. We'll have to be, continue to be very careful about how you characterize it. Some of the stuff that continues to, to come in on that particular topic, has it come to pass yet, or is it other aspects of it that are still kind of in the wind, so to speak? The the final page um, of that session of an individual who released this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I kind of characterize it in that page as it was like his pet, you, you know, releasing it into the world, you know. Um, I'd say, you know, a lot of speculation um, who that could be. But as far as a uh, feedback for that, I, I, you know, it's still to be determined, I'd, I'd was say. He, was, he, was he someone who had a British accent or was he someone... Who kind of talk like this? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I'm, you know, when I did that um, and, and I'm drawing it and I, I probably made the, the features of the face a bit um, foggy, probably for my own mm-hmm. safety without really understanding it at the time. Because um, some of the stuff that, that can come through, uh, you really, you, you do have to be careful. Uh, about publishing some of this stuff because um, you know what if you what if you hit on something that is a real hot topic for 
the kind of people that don't want you putting that kind of hot topic out. Let's um, explore that. Let's explore that actually. Has there ever been anything that you did where you got attention from, you know, either a government or a corporation or someone reached out to you and said, either, can you look into that a little bit more or, or someone started asking you questions or just reached out to you in general? Well, that, that session, um, along with the, the QAnon sessions, was how I got uh, invited onto the, at the time, crypto viewing group. Um, the, the kind of the, the man behind the scenes uh, who, who came up with that idea, uh, who knows a lot of things, uh, found, found uh, my work per- interesting and particularly uh, that project. Um, Is this person be, and open? If, or, or, no. or are they just kind of behind the scenes? Okay. I'm not it's a behind, yeah, it's a behind the scenes guy. Um, right. And, uh, you know, before that whole thing started, by the way, you know, in, in my conversations in, in uh, you know, 2018 was, you know, oh, yeah, the, you, yeah, your stuff is very interesting, particularly that one is particularly interesting. And this was before that particular thing happened. Uh, so, yeah, that one, that one got me you know, it's, you know, it's, it is what it is, man. It had, that's what happened. Has there been, has there been anything you've done since that kind of gave you the ominous feeling? Yeah. Since the November 17th? Or oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the virus thing came up a couple of times um, after that. And I have had some sessions even with um, crypto viewing uh, and, you know, and now future forecasting group that couldn't get, couldn't get published. Um, so I just say, when you said okay, couldn't be published, okay. what does that mean? It's too, it's, it could draw I, some up- unwanted attention. <laughs> yeah. So you couldn't could draw some unwanted attention. Yeah. Yep. Could you upload it to your patrons? Or was that also no, no? I, I was I was advised, and I'll take the advice. Uh, this we can't publish this. It's you know. So all right, you know I, I get it, I get it. You know there there are people who uh, if you, if you've heard of a woman named uh, um, Prudence Calabrese, Calabrese or Calabrese, she was a a woman who uh, became popular in the remote viewing world in the early 2000s. And she was in a documentary that came out in, I think, 2004. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy who was, it was a British guy who did the documentary. And he was, I think he was at one of the IRVA conferences, uh, International mm-hmm. Remote Viewers Association conference. And um, this woman was there. She was there. And she went uh, with those guys and um, the, the filmmakers and they asked her, they were asking her questions about some stuff. And she said some things that literally, uh, she kind of disappeared. She, she talked about the, uh, a terrorist attack coming up in, in England. And that was before the, the you know, the uh, March 11th, 2004 or whatever uh, terrorist attack on the, the trains or whatever it was in, in England. Yeah. And uh, yeah. literally... She disappeared. I'm not saying she's dead. I don't know. Nobody knows 
she said, I'm, I'm out, you know? So yeah, you can get, yeah, I don't want to have the men in black <laughs> kicking my door I, in, man. I, I, I don't want to go disappear. There's a guy, he's, he's not necessarily a trained remote viewer, but he's, he has premonitions and dreams. His name's Christopher Robinson. He worked for a good 30, 40 years for MI6 and MI5. Uh, and he had a pretty good arrangement with them. So I imagine whatever happened to her, if they're not completely incompetent, right, they probably just took her out of the public eye and she's probably living pretty well doing good. That's work. what I think. I think they probably said you're coming to work for us or you're in big trouble. <laughs> you know, she probably, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's my, right. Uh, that's right. what I always thought. She's working right. for we're them and you never see her again. Yeah. We're just speculating. Right. I'm speculating right. totally. Somebody, there's somebody just, uh, I just flashed something. <laughs> now I'm really intrigued. I have to ask. Okay. So Sooty S is saying in a recent session, Edward saw a mantis and a snake regarding the snake. He said, I am aware of him. I feel it is someone close to him professionally. Is it? You don't have to answer it, but uh, you, first, let's give the audience like the context behind that because, uh, well, if you can talk about it, because I'm curious now too. That was a session. That's a couple of years old. Uh, that was for um, crypto viewing. And the, the target... I got to try to remember what it was. I think it might have been um, London in 2024 or 2025, I think. Uh, I think it might have been something like that. And uh, I did a long session on that. And that was at the end of the session was where, where that kind of strange kind of um, symbology was coming through, mm -hmm. where you had... Uh, the, the someone being represented as as the snake the snake class and then you had a strategist uh, with the the mantis and they were going to go into a duel or, or a fight together uh, they were going to fight each other with the, the ideas of these of these two things you know the viper and the strategist you know going at it uh, at each other and it was it was symbolic uh in in nature you know and mm -hmm. who it could who it was I, I i'm not sure who who those individuals would be uh no one that i that i know unless maybe one of them's putin and one of them's you know uh, i mean there's no somebody else the i have no idea anymore, so I, I don't i don't know i don't know if there's yeah very well, symbolic the strategist right putin's the strategist very symbolic. The snake would be i, I don't know yeah that's yeah, it's up for it's up for interpret that it's up for interpretation. I think that's what the target was, though. But I, I can't fully remember if it was if it was London. Maybe then the snake would be maybe uh, King Charles or uh, one of his minions. They are they are the dragon class. The, the red dragon. They are the they are the red dragon. Oh, is that when you say they are the red dragon? Is that just what they show up in your remote viewing? No, that's on his crest. That's on that's on Charles Crest, the Red Dragon. I wonder who the Mantis would be. Well, well anyway, we, we could probably go on and on about this. So I want to ask you this one too: Has Edward and his group remote viewed the future of Asia to see if there will be a war? Not not Asia. Uh, we I don't think we have gotten anything related to Asia. 
um, outside of cryptocurrency stuff uh, related to Asia. The, the other, the other uh, reference I had to Asia was uh, back in 2019, it was probably September of 2019, the target was the catalyst for the switchover to a digital economy. What would be the catalyst for the switchover to a digital economy? And in that session, I had the Great Wall of China. And I drew uh, the spike protein. And I had I didn't know anything about a spike protein. That's what I saw. That's what I drew. We're going through the debrief. And I'm getting to that part with that the strange looking, you know, thing. Spike, we can look back at it now and say, yeah, spike protein, but I didn't, I didn't know. And I was just like, I'm sorry, guys. I think I missed this one, man. Uh, I felt bad. I was like, yeah, I think I screwed this one up. I didn't, you know, whatever, man. It doesn't have anything to do with money. It's just some weird looking thing. And uh, we forgot about it. We forgot about those sessions because we're every week we're doing new ones. We don't, you know, ponder on what we've done. We're on to the next thing. So then the big thing hits uh, the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, that thing that we don't want to talk about uh, or mention. And I'd say probably about March or so of 2020, I went mm -hmm. and was looking back through some of the old sessions and I looked back at that one. And I, by that time, everybody knew what a spike protein looked like. And I almost fell off my chair. I said, guys, look, I can't believe it we uh we had it in here and the relevance of that was that you had the world economic forum people like klaus schwab saying that the that you know the virus thing would be the catalyst for bringing in the you know the the digital economy of the fourth industrial revolution so he was actually saying it yeah you uh, so, eat the bugs and be happy that's correct that, that klaus schwab. Right, right, right that's the guy so it had it had relevance. So, yeah, that has that thing has come up for for me a couple of times, and uh, so yeah, it kind of won't leave me alone. Well, there hasn't. Well, there you had COVID, and then right now you're having a decoupling, a kind of a de-dollarization of the global economy, and uh, that's a little alarming the problem is i don't think people want to transact in yuan so the next best thing or actually probably a better option is some basket of currencies tied unfortunately to a digital currency so yeah. when the chinese figure out that their currency is not attractive for reasons that you know they don't necessarily obey international law things like that um the next the next shoe to drop is probably exactly what you're ta talking about and the reason it would scare me, and I'm sure it probably scares you, is you can maintain much tighter control over people if they have digital currency. 100%. Yeah. You have no anonymity anymore. That's been coming up. They just shut off your currency. You can't, oh, sorry, can't buy that meat packet. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Control system. Yeah. Yeah, we've been covering that. We've been covering that topic for a couple of years in in crypto viewing and in future forecasting group. And 
doing using remote viewing to to kind of monitor the evolution of this thing. Let's see another one. Can you see that, Edward? Uh, let's see. I'll I'll read it. I'll read it because yeah, it, please we, do. we are in the radio. Edward is maintained in sessions what seemed to be a frequency or signal that goes out. Once he wrote, this would be a quote, this would be a good time to be underwater or in a bath. Could he elaborate at all? <laughs> that, does that resonate for you? Do you remember that? I know I you do a million of these things, so it's hard to remember. I don't, I don't remember that one. I don't remember that one. She, if, if Sudi remembers that one, she, she may have to remind me. Because uh, I'm telling you, we've done so much remote viewing, and when we go into the debriefs, it's so in the moment. So either either I, if I say something in a session or I say something in a debrief, we're on to the next thing. Uh, and I, I by the way, for very difficult for to remember folks all those are, things. For folks who are just tuning in, I'm talking to remote viewer Edward Reardon, and you're listening to United Public Radio. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I got to do that three times. It's like clicking my feet like Cinderella. It's so funny because, you know, the, the same thing with either me or, or any of the other guys uh, in future forecasting, we can never remember uh, our sessions. We, we have to always go back and look at them again and remind ourselves what was in them because we do so many of them. Okay, so she, Sudi got back. So it was tied to a solar type event. Uh, I don't know if it's Beetlejuice or uh, Betelgeuse. I call it. I, don't, I call it Betelgeuse. I don't. I don't think that the French say Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an American thing. And then Enki and then Leo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That was a. Whoa, that was a. That was one of my vacation targets that I did. And the target okay, was. Okay, you got to explain exactly what this thing is because most people are just trying to drive home. They're like in Leaky and or. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll give you the very very condensed version because it's a very big topic, but. Um, my friend Dustin Newcomb, I've been working with him for 10 years. He, he, would, he would pick a target, set up the project for me. I do the remote viewing. I do the videos. I put them up, you know, and I call those my vacation targets, you know, because I can take my time and go some wherever I want. You know, he, he picked you know, the QAnon target was his Xenon 1 uh, dark matter detector was his. Earth's core was his, his target. A lot of a lot of them were his. So the interesting thing is, um, I finished the project in December, just a couple of months ago, and it was Betelgeuse. He he picked that. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing was, he picked that target for me originally in January of 2020, and I did a couple of sessions. And I wasn't happy with any of the sessions. And I said, scrap it. I don't like, I'm, my viewing is crap. Scrap the project. Uh, I'm, I'm not happy with this. So he scrapped it. Unbeknownst to me, in I think September of 2023, I said, hey, man, uh, I'm ready for, you got anything in mind? He says, yeah, sure. Sends me target ID. It's that. I go through the entire session, I get done, he gives me the feedback, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty pretty wild. I'm going to start doing my research. And he says, you know, I gave this target to you before. I said, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> he said, January of 2020, I originally set the target up, and but you scrapped it because you didn't like the remote viewing. I said, wow, that's really interesting. 
But here's why that's interesting. When I got the feedback and I started doing the research, this was in the beginning of December of last year, 2023. I do a search for, for uh, Betelgeist. First thing that comes up is that on December 12th of last year, a comet was going to go was was going to go between the Earth and the star Betelgeuse, which is in the Orion constellation. Yeah, it's like and the it, bottom right corner or something. It's like the big one. Maybe. It's a big, big yeah. bright one on the it's left red, hand side. It's a red giant, isn't it? A red giant. Yeah. Well, the the original reason why he gave me that as a target was to see if I would be talking about a supernova. He was like, "Is this thing?" You know, he wanted to know if it was going to go supernova. That's what that was one of the reasons, or one of the part of the tasking was to see if it would go supernova. But so it's the beginning of December. I do my research, and lo and behold, 10 days out from the time I start doing my research is when this comet is going to go in front of the Earth, in between Earth and Betelgeuse, and it was going to block out the star for five to 15 seconds, just a one in a bazillion chance that that could happen. Mm -hmm. You know, one in a bazillion chances that that could happen. And when I told Dustin, he had no idea. He had never heard of that. So I was like, this is really strange. I scrapped the, the project. I didn't know what the target was back in 2020, but I scrapped it. We do it again now. And I get the feeling right before this event is going to happen. So I was like, that's weird man you know what are the odds of that that's really strange so in the way he sets them up he'll have a, like a list of sub cues for for the targets and i like that because it gives me a lot of ranges a lot of places to go and, and experience so in this one it was you know the viewers to perceive if this if this star is going to go supernova in whatever period of time and then some sub cues you know one of the sub cues was uh, the influence that this star has had on humanity in the past, in the present, mm -hmm. and in the future. Interesting. The bulk of my sessions dealt with a lot of that influence. Because as I started doing my research into what cultures worship this star as a god, the most interesting one to me was Babylon and its worship of that star and the god of uh in their pantheon of that star was called enlil e-n-l-i-l -I, I think it's the the brother or the sister of inki so they're they're in the mm -hmm. same babylonian family there and so that set me off on a whole tangent of things to research about babylon and it started to remind me of some of the images, imagery that I had been seeing in real time happening now, particularly the uh, some of the imagery in the Commonwealth Games ceremonies from 2020, 2022 in Birmingham, England, that was hosted by then Prince Charles that had imagery of the slave woman, you know, pulling in this giant bull, a giant steel bull, which in Babylonian could be Baal or it could be Moloch, has a lot of bull, bull symbology in there. These women were the slave of this of this creature, and also imagery of Babylon, the, t the tower in the ceremony. 
It was a tower. It was all, you know, it was all digital, but it's on fire. It's in flames. And the people all come together, these Commonwealth people, and they put the flames out and the tower is now completed again. So I'm looking at that and I'm looking at the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, the story is they're trying to build a tower to heaven to uh, apotheosis themselves, become with the gods. God, God, gets, you know, God gets angry, smashes the tower, confuses them with into 72 languages and disperses them across the earth. 72 languages. There's a person in the, in the ceremony for the Commonwealth Games who gets up and says, we have brought together representatives of all 72 nations of the Commonwealth. So then I'm going, maybe there's something more going on here. Maybe, right, maybe there's maybe, a reason there's only 72 members of the Commonwealth because there's more countries than 72. There right? were 72 there, and, and she specifically said 72. And so the other reference to 72 that I found right at the same time was in the rotunda of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. There's a painting. It's called The Apotheosis of, of George Washington, and it's got a uh, a portal of 72 stars or 72 pentagrams and through that portal is george washington deified as a god sitting on a throne with all these other deities around him in clouds so they they have been apotheosized they have been attained god status uh and i was like what is going on here so then i was like that's pretty interesting and then we got this comet going in front of Betelgeuse on the 12th of, of December. So I was like, what's going on on the 12th of December? The 12th of December was the final day of COP28. And mm. with King Charles being the keynote speaker. So there was another reference to Charles in there as well. So I started thinking, maybe King Charles sees himself as the king of the new Babylon, maybe. I'm just theorizing. I'm not saying that that's true. But as I'm going through all this, and my thought processes are just eating it up because it's so tasty, you know, I started thinking maybe Charles is the queen of the new Babylon. He's putting the tower back together and he's getting the 72 nations back. You know, it was all starting to piece together. It was just, it was fascinating. It was I'm going to add a bit of a non, well, it's not a non sequitur, but it's tangentially related to remote viewing. Are you familiar with Steve Mara, the no. paranormal researcher? Mm. So he's done 40 years of paranormal research. He, he was also involved in the skull experiments where they were running seances and uh, basically made contact with these entities and started, it got to the point where they could materialize and you know, objects, dematerialize objects. Uh, they would, they could, you could remove uh or you would have they had sealed film like kodak film i don't know if it's kodak maybe it went something, something like that um that w was not in a camera and they could imprint pictures on that film like they would pull this stuff out of factory wrap and it would have so lots of weird weird crazy stuff so when you started talking about babylon and symbols of babylon he he's come closer from the kind of the paranormal realm 
and linking it with the UAP phenomena. So like a lot of this stuff is not bleeds over. It's not discrete nuts and bolts. There's also kind of a non-physical aspect to it. Well, one of the things he investigates is you know, somewhere in the middle. There's a there's a physical phenomena in the UK which related to polter, poltergeists, but they're physical poltergeists. It's like the dogmen phenomena. That is related to a specific Babylonian demon. Anyway, he's had all these paranormal experiences all his life, and when he's kind of moving in the right path, like synchronicities, everything's going yeah. great. But if he yeah. starts if he starts kind of barking up the wrong tree, he starts to get, so, so he claims, right. I don't, I, I can't verify it, but he, and he has a lot of these experiences. He woke up one night because I asked him, is there any, you know, thing you've been investigating where this, you started to get pushback. And he said, yes, Babylonian demons or ancient Sumerian yeah. demons. Yeah. So he woke up one night and there were arms wrapped around him. And he was like struggling to break free. And his wife, who normally wakes up at the drop of a pin, was just out. And as you know, when he, I think when he woke up the next morning, he called his uh, colleague, Barry Fitzgerald, and to tell him what had happened. And before he could even start talking, he's just like, Did something really strange happen to you last night? Because, you know, this, like, so something paranormal happening at the same time but the only point of this story is there's something to this kind of babylonian iconography and, and things like that that i agree it's kind of spurred so anyway, somebody's saying um 72 races resulting from noah that's right yeah yeah there's a there's a several different 72 references i put them in the video i can't i, I can't remember i can't remember off the top of my head but yeah, it's 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 a lot of symbology. It's a it's a rabbit hole that you can jump down, and wow, it's it is fascinating. Oh, let's see. Hypothetically, if you if we wanted to combat harp and scalar weaponry, has Edward ever heard of or done sessions on that type of work? Or results could be dropped anonymously to protect the viewers. Never anything uh, with harp. Um, but in the in the QAnon sessions uh, that I did in in June of 2018, there was a lot of reference to that kind of technology and its like effect weather. on people. And I had that also in the ominous feeling sessions as well. That was a, that was another thing that came through in those sessions was a. Uh, um, like a, either a Wi-Fi wave or some kind of like maybe even a microwave or something like that coming through. So when uh, last year, when the emergency thing was going to go on the phones, um, there were people who were concerned that there was a frequency that was going to come through there that might have an influence on uh, this certain thing, you know, that I won't mention. Um, I can't say that's for sure. But that was very interesting uh, and kind of a time marker for me as far as those sessions from, from 2017, because that became an issue in 2023 that was similar to what I was trying to describe in 2017. Um, but in, in the QAnon sessions, there, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of work that related to, to that kind of um, 
technology that could have an effect on people. Yeah, I think because of that, I didn't even I didn't make sure I turned my phone off that day. <laughs> so did I. I put mine in in a in. A, I doubt, it was, like, I doubt it was anything. I, I think they were just testing the national probably you know, yeah response, but but yeah. I thought it was cool to pull the battery out and put it in a Faraday cage and, and just to have, satisfy myself and. <laughs> yeah, you can you can never be too safe. Put my tinfoil okay, hat on. I think you have had something like this. So the question I'm getting is, has Edward ever had a remote viewing occur unintentionally, as in a moment or moments where he begins receiving information while he was otherwise occupying doing something else when it began? I think I think the answer is yes, but I yeah because I, I recall that. But go ahead, I don't want to answer for you. Well, there's there, there's probably a bunch of examples uh, in there, but um, one of them that is interesting, but it's it's not diabolical or anything like that. Uh, but it is it's fascinating and probably, in my opinion, one of the most interesting and important things that I've ever captured on video uh, of a, in, a, in a live remote viewing experience. And uh, with that, when I was contacted by a, a fella out of um, the U United Kingdom, UK, and he asked me if I'd be willing to work a target. Now, I never say yes. So this everybody, I never say yes. I always say no. But for this guy, I was like, eh, something seems kind of interesting. I said, okay, I'll, I'll work it. So he sends me a target ID, and that's it. So I go to work on it. I videotape them all. They're all done on a whiteboard. And I'm in this DNA. It's, I'm in the DNA and the patterns of DNA and the blueprint of DNA and all that kind of stuff. And I'm drawing it all out. And as soon as I'm drawing it all out, it wasn't DNA anymore. It was musical notes. And I started even going, wait, this is music, man. You know, and I'm doing this whole thing. And for, for 10 seconds or something like that. And finally I was like, get the hell out of here. Back to the DNA. So I got, and I got back to work on the DNA. So once I was done with the whole project, he gave me the feedback. Let me, let me. Stop you there for a second. There's a strange association with this DNA is regular pattern, just like a wave, right? It's kind of constructed like, uh, you know, it resonates actually at a certain frequency. I think in, I want to say it's like 50 megahertz or in, I don't know, but it resonates, yeah. it vibrates at a certain frequency. So the question is, do you think there's any relationship between the music and the I'll tell you what I'll tell you what the relationship is with the music, because he he let me know once he gave me the feedback. He gave me the feedback, and the target wasn't even something physical. It was an idea that he had for a patent of a DNA marker. And the reason he asked me to remote view it was because he wanted to see if his intellectual property could be safe from a remote viewer. And so what he did was he set up what's called a masking of his intellectual property. And he wouldn't tell me how exactly he set it up, but he did tell me that if I hit on the DNA, it would trigger this other target that, to pull my attention away from it. And that distractor target was an opera performance where they're singing just what I was singing in the video. And so 
when he told me that, one, I was interested in what he was trying to do, which was to protect his intellectual property. But when he told me he had attempted to put a mask on over his actual target, his idea, and that I had actually experienced that, but I had gotten through it, that made it even more interesting to me. Because he said, he said to me, and he, with this British, you know, way that, you know, he said, I tried to mask it. I tried to hide my target, but you cut through it like a hot knife through butter. He said, <laughs> you know, because I didn't get lost in his distractor target. I I'm got sure back some people, to it. I'm sure some people did. The problem is, is he's the one who gave you the coordinates, right? He is the one. If he's someone, the one who set it up. If someone were observing his, or you know, whatever that, whatever that, target in space and time is they would uh, it would be interesting if you ran another experiment where somebody else assigned the target and he still does whatever he does whether or not they would get the same interference did he ever explain to you how he came up with the interference he did not he wouldn't he wouldn't tell me how he did it. he was very specific in saying i'm not going to tell you how i set this up and i was like okay that's fine the, what did this the, guy do for a living he he Ostensibly, I, I can't remember I, something with but he was a biologist. He was trying to cre develop a patent. But the interesting mm -hmm. here's what's important about that experience is that um, someone was trying to stop me from remote viewing something. Okay, they were trying to block me from remote viewing something. Their block actually came in, but I was able to get through the block and get back to the remote viewing. Now there, there are distract an average remote viewer. Well, here's, here's the thing. The, the theory is that a viewer can get blocked or masked and they'll never know it. You know, that's the, that was the theory. And I don't agree with that theory. I've proven that theory wrong. I cannot say that I'll do it again. Somebody could set something like that up for me again, and I could get distracted and go off on onto the secondary... And there could also be three levels, right? You, you could just have it even further nested and just be like a Russian nesting doll. Well, here, here's what's important about it. There's a, there's a theory out there that viewers can be blocked. And I prove that a viewer can get through a block. And not only did I prove it, it's not as a fit in the big fish story. It's on video. You can go and watch it. So it's not just me saying, oh, I did this thing. It's on video. The importance, the importance of it isn't to pat myself on the back and say, oh, look at me, I did this thing. The importance is a viewer can get through anything. There's nothing a viewer cannot, cannot perceive and experience. And that's just the way it is, man. If somebody tries to put up a block, because there's a lot of theories out there, oh, they're blocking you, the aliens are blocking you, the government's blocking you, the, the witches and the wizards and the warlocks, and they're all, they're all blocking you. And okay. Well, that's a good suggestion. There's a power of suggestion, and I can see how that could influence somebody, but a viewer can get through all of that if they want to. I'm not saying they will every time, but they can. And that's what was most important. That's, that may be one of the most important things I've ever put up was that. So the people who understand what I'm talking about, and they look at that, and they'll, they'll understand the importance of that because it's not, it's not uh, you know, parlor tricks or... Uh, whoa, look at me. I, you know, I drew this great sketch of the target. Uh, ain't I so great? Or, you know, I'm going to get all puffed up, puffed up about it. 
that was the, an example of a very important element of, of remote viewing, of perceiving things that in maybe the, a couple levels above the average uh, where people think that they can, um, they're foolproof, uh, they can influence a viewer away uh, anytime they want to. And so my, my, um, that's what I have to say about that. That's why that was so important. And I'm glad it's still has up any, there. Anybody can go see it. Has anyone ever tried to pull a much more crass trick on you? In other words, here's an example. Has anyone ever kind of just sent you a blank target? I.e. it was just nothing. And they wanted to see if you would just come up with some crazy elaborate description to test you. No. And, and that's why if you talk to any viewer who does a lot of remote viewing, they will stay away from, from that kind of person because uh, they're trying to do you harm. You know, that, right. that's, that's viewer abuse. And uh, it's, it's risky enough in general to have somebody else always picking the targets for you. That, that in itself is always risky. But if you're working with someone who's going to try to abuse you, that's a bad thing to do. That's a bad thing to do. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's why. That's why I always. That's why. No, though. That's why. Well, I always say no. So if I don't, if I don't know the person and I don't trust the person, I don't work with them. That was the. That was the one time that I said, "Yeah, I'm going to do that," and and I'm glad I did it. It's it's another thing, like like the ominous feeling ones. Like I was saying, I'm so glad I did that because I easily could have not done it. And that's another example. I could have told that guy, "I don't know who you are. I'm not doing anything with you." But I did it, and I'm very glad that I did. Something very important came out of that. So. You know, there's a, an inner an inner guidance system, in my opinion, um, to to uh, you know that kind of help helps me out. You know, to not get abused. Uh, that's that's bad abuse. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise anybody to do that to anybody. This example is actually a great example of where the frontiers might be in remote viewing. Or it could be the you know the intelligence community figured it out 15 years ago, and you know you're, we're only just beginning to experience it now. Where do you see, or what other phenomena related to remote viewing, or techniques related to remote viewing, or technologies related to remote viewing, do you think are at the forefront or frontier of this particular discipline? I think that um, where we're at now, being 30 years, uh, almost 30 years after the uh, program got uh, defunded right. in regards specifically to remote viewing and conditions, you know, prior to that, working under blind conditions, uh, you know, not so common, but with remote viewing, that is a very strong, strict part of the protocol. So we've had about 30 years, almost 30 years of of a lot of people putting in time to to work on this and develop this and kind of uh, you know put a pathway out there uh, into into this realm that other people can can explore too. And um, so, in my opinion, we've had a, we've had almost thirty years of gestation of this thing um, through.
no, we got to slow down on Ed. He'll, he'll log back in. I will, I will continue talking. So while, while I'm at it, I think now is a good time to remind everyone, if you just joined, that you are listening to United Public Radio. And we are talking to skilled remote viewer Edward Reardon, who I hope will be returning to us in a moment once he restarts his his videos. But let's let's uh, open open things up to some more questions to the extent that I can answer that about remote viewing and in my at least capacity of having interviewed a lot of remote viewers from the original Stargate program, as well as uh, folks like Daz Smith and Edward Reardon. Come on, don't want any dead air here, folks. Don't be shy. I, I think, look, I think what he's been saying is... Um, extremely interesting because he's kind of the first generation that started using these protocols and uh uh yes actually but not not formally i haven't been formally trained so the weirdest one is um uh, and i i don't expect people to believe me but when i started this channel you know, two years ago, a lot of people from your prior life come forward and tell you things that they normally wouldn't tell you. And I had someone who's not a whistleblower, um, and they don't obviously don't want to come this out, and I won't say what, but you know, they claim to have seen in the custody of a a government, uh, not U.S. But uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Not U.S. And uh, they claim to have physically seen a craft in custody of a particular government. And I just had a very strong feeling. I told them what the color of the floor was. And it absolutely freaked this person out. Because it was dead on. It was just very simple. Uh, but that would be the, the weirdest. And there's just been a few others where people ask me to describe something. And... Um, I've been able to do it. But again, it's just beginner's luck. It's not. The other weird one was I wanted to test, you know, a bit of automatic writing out, which David Morehouse said was akin to remote viewing. It looks like, uh, all right, Edward's back. So I'm going to bring Edward back up. You know, these things happen, but I hope, I hope I was able to stand in well enough and tap dance. So I entertained you all. All right, here he is. Hey, that's all right, sorry, man. That. Seamless, seamless. There's only oh, about there's only about uh, I don't know five seconds of dead air. It seemed to me oh. like it was thirty seconds, but I think to the audience it probably didn't even. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes the internet drops or right in the strangest times it'll drop. Um, that's right. As long as it doesn't drop for me, I'll, we'll be okay. <laughs> you don't want to be a guy on the radio. Um, <laughs> so okay. Um, so we were talking about the where remote viewing goes from here. I, I think yes. that's kind of the, the gist yeah, of it. Yeah. Technologies, and, um, techniques, procedures of the future. Yes. And uh, so my perspective of it is, so we have almost 30 years of 
a lot of remote viewing being done at least in the in the uh, public sector. You know, I'm not I'm not even adding in of the military guys and all the years that they did it. I mean, just specifically in the in the, in the public sector. So we ha- we have a lot of remote viewing that has been done. And so I often wonder to myself um, where where it is going to go next. In my opinion, uh, remote viewing is going to is never going to go away. It'll always be here, evolving into what it is, and uh, and what it you know what is what it what it really represents. Because um, in my opinion, the the true purpose of remote viewing really hasn't been understood yet. Uh, it's been used to spy on Russians or look at space aliens or you know it's been used for those things and in my opinion that is low on the scale of importance for for the ability that we have uh for what we can do um but those things have gotten attention that's the level that people under, uh, can understand it at and i i understand that but in my opinion it's moving more into um being able to um kind of for lack of a better term, uh, be more multidimensional in our uh, lives, in our everyday mm-hmm. awareness. Because one of the things that I've been working on in my exploration of, of the process of remote viewing um, through years and thousands and thousands of hours of trial and error right here in my, in my laboratory here, is uh, getting into the experience more of the um, what I call dimensional sensations mm-hmm. and uh, the, the, the mass or dimensionality of that is perceivable uh, in these remote uh, locations or these ranges of time and space and being able to begin to experience them um, where the dimensional the dimensionality of it uh, becomes, can become maybe a little bit more solidified or a little, the, the density of it, the mass may be able to become, uh, fill in a bit more of the mass of it. And that's what I've been experimenting with a lot. Um, I call it, I call them dimensional sensations. That was the best term I could come up with for it. Also, uh, another, another word for it that I use is proprioception which mm-hmm. is uh, the part of the, the, we have proprioceptors in our body that give, send signals to our brain that give us a sense of, of our, where we are in space. If we're upright, you know, kind of where we are, even if we're in a dark room, they call it the sixth sense proprioception. And uh, that is incorporated in, in my theory the process of remote viewing is like proprioception in reverse. So instead of me touching the screen and then those proprioceptors sending signals back into the cerebral peduncles, part of my brainstem, and then begin to process that through the brain, my theory is that it happens in reverse. So those impulses happen in reverse in the brain and utilize those known proprioceptors uh, proprioceptive memories to begin to process the information and decode and translate those impulses and stimuluses uh, that are at that range of time and space at that quote unquote target. And um, I wonder and theorize the 
that that element or that aspect then is going it will increase in its um, strength and um, and be able to where we will be able to experience more of that stronger even you know not just describe the target describe the target remote viewing is what I is what I call data miners they're data miners you know um, useful but that's what I call them and then I then I have what I call the explorer and I resonate more in the explorer realm you know yeah describe the you know data miner describe the target fine but I want to explore more you know and so that's that's where my work has gone in the exploratory realm now how do you see kind of or reconcile the emergence of artificial intelligence uh also the emergence of human machine interface like Neuralink. do you think that's going to be something that crowds out or impedes the development of these natural born capabilities or do you think it's going to be a way to enhance or is it going to kind of be somewhere in between in my opinion um I've, I've talked about this quite a few times is that um, I'm pro-human and I'm pro-AI. But in the, in the sense that the two, when, if, the, if the two can be achieved in, in a balance, then one side needs the other as much as the other will need, you know, they, they, they'll need each other. And as long as that's balanced and one is up or down, then we maybe we won't kill ourselves, you know, or maybe it won't kill us, you know. But if we can find that balance, in my opinion, that would be a, a fantastic companion to uh, accelerate um, our comprehension levels or learning levels. Because in my opinion, what the AI lacks is that uh, ability for um uh, remote understanding or dimensional sensation uh proprioception it may be programmed to to know what those things are but can it experience i don't think it can experience anything like that so if the ai is an, an understanding with the human being then it is curious about what we can do and we're curious about what it can do and then the two can work can can move very quickly in, in a in a balance that it could be very beneficial. That's how I look at it in my fantasy of what would be ideal. Uh, will that happen? Who knows? We might just kill ourselves and start the whole thing over again uh, and take a couple hundred thousand years to get back where we are now. But my hope would be that the two can work together. Now, I did work at Target with transception. You mentioned transception back in 2012. And the, the, the target was uh, to find uh, how a, the, the link between a, a technology and consciousness and how, to, how that would work. Because Jerry was interested in using remote viewing to figure that out so he could patent it, uh, a patent, a human to machine interface. And he, I did a bunch of remote viewing on it. 
some of the ideas that came in there, he put into his into a patent that is um, waiting approval, awaiting approval. So it isn't a patent. So I don't know how many, however many viewers are out there who could say my remote viewing, it's in a patent application, not in not an actual patent yet. How many remote viewers can say that their remote viewing work is in a patent application? If it gets approved and as an actual patent, there will be remote viewing in that. Um, but as far as the, the consequences of that, where you have human consciousness interacting with, with the machine consciously, um, it, it seems like an inevitable progress in my mind, if we don't kill ourselves first. When you're it, saying your remote viewing is in a patent, are you saying that you remote- A patent application. Future? It's an application. A patent so. application. Are you saying you, you remote viewed a technology that did not exist that ended up in a patent application? That's what you're saying. Some, you're of, the saying some of the elements in that session okay. did, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so- Specifically the other... how, the, how the blood, uh, elements of the blood in the nanotubes um, would work. I don't know all the, all the scientific lingo, um, but it was a series of sessions uh, on it nanotubes being one um a, there was a a, a 12 atom uh, uh, a ibm microchip the size of 12 atoms that was another one and the other one um i can't remember what the other one was but he took elements out of those and he and he put them into this thing he wants to patent and it's it hasn't been approved yet but it's in there so that's kind of that's kind of cool that's kind of cool i'm not opposed i'm not opposed to that i'm not opposed to that well, that's actually enhancing there's two immediate applications that i've i've seen in the last six months or so that that one clearly didn't work so i actually had a live stream with more with uh dr morehouse and lynn buchanan and we actually lynn buchanan had three targets and we had ChatGPT describe the targets. So ChatGPT was not surprisingly 0 for 3. So that application is probably, to your point, it just verifies what you were saying. It also yeah. verified Lynn's intuition. You know, we weren't yeah. surprised by that, but we had to do it. The second one, I think, is actually uh, much more useful. So, and that, and this is this is a problem, a practical problem that Dr. David Morehouse ran into when he had 70 some remote viewers remote view uh, Rocky Mountain Ranch for the Beyond Skinwalker show. And the issue he had is he had a ton of just, you know, written data with sketches and things like that. If you could ingest all that, all those sessions into an AI algorithm to go map and identify the most common correlations and you know calculate what statistical significance seeing an owl is i'm just making that up but you could have something tremendously powerful with man human or man ai fusion that That's i think right. could revolutionize i mean in, you know, the intelligence probably already does this but it would in it would revolutionize remote viewing in a way that it really scale and you could leverage the full capacity of humanity in order to get the right answer. 
process. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Have have it process all that remote viewing work and then present it uh, to the analyst. Right, um, exactly. Because exactly. Other, otherwise, it's daunting task to try to analyze remote viewing. It's a daunting task. All right, I'm going to... I want to roll the dice on this one. So you've been very circumspect <laughs> thus far. You're, uh -oh. I'm just warning you, you need to be circumspect. Are we going into the woo? I think we're going into the woo. No, world. no, no, no. We're not going okay. to the woo. We're going okay. to something far, far worse. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Okay. Has he and his group ever seen something like a rhymes with nivel uh, war happening in the United States? Uh, we have, yeah, we have. Uh, we we've worked some targets like, like I say, the we have one. The the death of the dollar was one of one of the targets. Um, like I say, the other one, what, what will be the catalyst for bringing in the new digital system, which is kind of the same, very close. Um, and we we've done quite a few other targets that were specific to dates, uh, future dates here in the United States and in certain countries in Europe as well. And uh, we have seen things that were not, uh, not very positive looking um, in, a, in our work that could fit under that category of the, the CW. In fact, those words probably even came up a couple times. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't really look all that good. I'll tell you one thing that we um, we had a project that we worked uh, last September. It was last September of last year, and it was the target itself was based off of a part of one of my remote viewing sessions uh, for Future Forecasting Group, where that dealt with uh, longevity technology and mm -hmm. so uh, the you know people behind the scenes um, wanted to see if we could maybe delve into what some of those things might be so we were given that as a, as a target we're all completely blind we have no idea but the results of that we were all coming up with the same thing to that target ID which was um, a, a war scenario all of us and typically, if maybe one or two viewers may be off, but the other guys are going to be on. You know, we're not all off all the time. Someone's going to hit 100%, something, 100%. you know. We were all talking about the same thing. So we did the debrief on it. And that was in, it was either late September or early October of last year. And we did the debrief and we were just, you know, all of us were shaken by our remote viewing sessions. You know, it was very, it was very difficult. So October 7th uh, is the Israel uh, Hamas uh, event. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, uh, my brain exploded because what what was in my remote viewing session i didn't have people coming into paragliders and all that there, there was a lot of other stuff going on in in the mediterranean sea and stuff like that in my session as well and what the other guys were getting when i saw that event happen it was the oh, this is the start of it right here 
This is the start to what was in those sessions. And I had, I was having physical reactions to it. I got a big, big lump on the back of my neck. Um, I was kind of crazy for, for a couple of days, um, thinking World War III just started. This is, this is the shot across the bow. This is, this is the start of it, you know. And as all the rest of it continues to unfold with now all these other countries and Jordan and all, you know, all these other things are going on and people coming over our border from those areas that maybe, maybe they want to do us harm too. And, um, and, we're, and so, we're not exactly doing anything about it because it's almost like letting it happen almost, you know, or well, throwing I mean, the dice on that one and say, hopefully nothing yeah, happens. Four, four, but... four million extra votes might, might be helpful to somebody. I don't know. Well, it, it was, um, it was very, we, we all had a hard time with that one, you know, because we all felt the same thing, you know. The cat, the the, stat, the catalyst for the for World War Three is upon us. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hate I hate to say that, and I don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating. Either. Well, look, you're you're not the only one, right? So Lynn Buchanan did a remote viewing engagement for a major U.S. technology corporation. Um, I'm I'm fully speculating because he did not did not reveal who that client was, but if I had to guess, I'd say Microsoft given the way that uh, you know certain former executives there seem to kind of have a bead on what's coming. And what he saw was between 2020 and 2040, there would be a lot of civil unrest, let's just let's just call it. Um, yeah, but no, but no, no ness like he didn't see any nuclear events, but he saw lots of weather events, right? Um, and you know his belief was the U.S. and the and the Russians have their own suites of weather weapons. I know the I know the the Russians using a Poseidon uh, missile. It's like a nuclear missile. They could cause tidal action on both right. U.S. coasts if they wanted to, That's without right. you know I mean just detonating it undersea without yep. explicitly using nuclear weapons against populations. But you could have. That's right. Trouble, trouble. I'm not saying this is all going to happen. I'm just saying he saw a lot of. Uh, he also had a kind of a body count. I'm not going to say that over the radio, but you can all go to my channel and look up Lynn Buchanan and look at some of the episodes where he discussed this stuff. Sure. Uh, but I mean, the, given given a lot of what we're seeing, you know, with the the border kind of completely unsecured, various you know, we, I think various governors have sent the National Guard to texas um you're having issues in i mean new york right now there are rumors of a trucker strike where you know there was a there was a unfavorable outcome against a particular uh very very uh, controversial political figure and there's a lot of folks who aren't going to are refusing to go to new york city now and unloading goods and just stuff that's not violent but stuff that could be extremely disruptive and is is a bit concerning 
And not only yeah. that, our government doesn't appear to be getting the memo that they need to start ramping up weapons production. Because if you don't do that, you're only, you only have one option. You're kind of, I think they're giving a lot of, they're sending a lot of weapons to Ukraine. That's the problem, right? We're running down, we're running down existing stockpiles, but we're not treating it like a national emergency and ramp dramatically ramping this up. It's not like world war two where your weapon systems are super simple, Right. right? You have, you know, Javelin missile has all sorts of components from sourced from all over the United States. And yeah. some of them, you know, when you're talking about um, rare earth metals, right? Because you have to have rare earth metals to have guidance systems and, and things like that. It takes a lot longer to build these systems because they're a lot more technologically sophisticated. So yeah. it, it's like we don't have the, like, <laughs> it feels like, and then, oh, by the way, did you see uh, Congressman Turner the other day said that there was some serious national security issue? You just put it out on Twitter that require that that should should be declassified immediately and shared with the rest of the with our allies and with the rest of the united states because Uh yeah and then of course he came he's like oh it wasn't you know illusion firm hand on the wheel everything's fine don't worry about it i just wanted to get their attention that's like so there are rumors it's it's related to still, Russian space tech. On? Yeah, you're still on. You're still on. God. You're still on. Edward, I can still hear you. You back home? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Keep talking. Man, I can I... hear you the whole time. Oh, you could you went fuzzy. Weird. Yeah, you went fuzzy. You went fuzzy. Weird, because you you totally froze, and I looked at it looked like I was back offline. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very concerning thing, and I'll tell you, um, when I was young, uh, back in 1985, I was 16 years old, mm-hmm. and one night I'm in this, I'm asleep, and in an instant, I'm in this complete blackness, but I'm totally conscious, you know, but I'm mm-hmm. in total blackness. And a fraction of a second later, I'm on a street, you know, and I'm looking pan to my left and all the buildings are blown up and, you know, the whole place is blown up and all that kind of stuff. And I'm looking around, you know, for a few seconds and then pff, I'm back. And I wake up the next morning and I remembered that experience. And, a, and after I remembered it, a download of information came into my mind about the future. And it made me crazy. I was crazy for a while, you know, because the future, what, what I was being told what the future was going to be, you know, and what I had seen and what had come into my mind after that were two very, very different things that the, this, the entire system was going to collapse in the, the world that we know in 1985 was going to isn't going to be there in the future, you know? And so that was the guiding force in my life from 1985, got me into all the things that I've been to, even remote viewing is because of that, that experience. And after this remote viewing we did, um, right before the October 7th uh, event in Israel, and then what that 
seem to represent and um, to me seeing it and then seeing some of the videos of the response in Palestine, which looked exactly like what I had seen in that dream. Mm -hmm. And I was telling somebody about this, that for about three months prior to that date, every time I would lay down and do some breathing and do some deep breathing, you know, meditations every day. And for about three months prior to that, every time I would go and do that, I would be projecting myself back into the eighties, you know, const every mm -hmm. time I'd be going back oh, in the eighties and going through this whole scenario while I'm breathing along to this audio, audio, breathing audio. And after the event in Israel on the 7th of October, that stopped. And so I started to contemplate if in 85, maybe I didn't go to the future in 19, from 1985 into the future. Maybe my future self was sending a message back in time. And that yeah, period of time that I was doing that, I was communicating with myself. So once those things stopped happening after, after the, in October, I was, I went through this whole process of, I don't know why else I'm here. This could be, it. maybe I'm going to die now. Uh, you know, mission complete. I think, I don't know what else there is to do. That's, well, that's you, been the guiding you... force of my life was that, that thing. And now it's happened. I'm here now. I well, didn't know what to do. Have you sent the message back to your prior self yet? I don't have to anymore because that I caught up and I know where I am in time. So okay. after a couple of months of relaxing, then the, the elements of, okay, what to do, what to do now started to unfold, you know, for me. So now, you know, but it was a very difficult couple of months, uh, October, November, December, where I was like, I, you know, I could, this could be it. I, I might have mission accomplished. Uh, I, I might die now, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I wasn't even sure if I could remote view anymore. I was like, maybe I, I may not even be able to remote view anymore. This could have fulfilled the thing. And, you know, so, but I got back on the horse and all that. I got, I got past it, but it's, you know, knowing where you are in time and fulfilling a life altering course. And when that comes to fruition and that cycle is closed, a big arch arching, a big arcing cycle, um, moving on from that was, was a real challenge, you know? Um, so now it's you know, kind of a different perspective now. What's coming now that that has been fulfilled in my opinion. What do you think is the next shoe to drop? Is this the, I mean, we talked about this on my uh, show when we did a pre-recorded interview, the cyber, cyber stuff. We did was it explicitly we, cyber. Or was it something? We did a target for future forecast of a, a cyber attack. And um, it was a fascinating session because right off the bat, I'm in New York City, you know, I'm right, I'm drawing the buildings and the people and I'm, and I said, I, I think I'm in New York, New York, New York City, you know? Okay, well, what's going on? What's interesting here? 
And the, the, what was interesting about it was that in the buildings and the people on the street had reverted back to an old system of processing information and stuff like that. It was like going back to writing receipts on paper, uh, you know, or ticker tape kind of thing. Um, technology you, had, technology had gone had backwards. Power? Do you recall if they had power? In this that was the thing. Particular? That was the thing. You know, they lost that. And they had to revert back to processing things in an old, very old way. Now, and now do you, are you sure it's a cyber attack? Could it also just be that... That was the didn't target. Deliver the, didn't deliver that, the coal to the power plants, and that that was the target. The target wasn't will they will they will they shut down the power plants because they they've made coal illegal. It was the it was to look and see if there was a cyber attack in under in a specific frame of time, which I can't remember when it was. Maybe 2024, 2025. It's this year. It's this year, I think, because we at least that's what you talked about on the. There were three dis discrete periods, right? One was April, one was in September. I can't remember the the third wave, or if it, yeah. if the September one was the third wave. There's either something in between, or something at the end. Yeah, it's kind of like a when not if scenario. I just heard. Uh, I listened to this sheriff uh, out of Ohio. Uh, sure. By the way, let's both Jones. hope that we're. Let's both hope that you're. Oh, wrong. I hope I'm completely wrong. Yeah, with, <laughs> right. with all with all of my remote viewing, I always tell you, like, I hope I'm wrong. I want to be. I I'm okay with me. I'm a remote viewer. Because you're not if always you, right, if, right? Like if like you're not okay with being wrong, you ain't never right. gonna make it, man. Because you're gonna be wrong, right. wrong, wrong, you know. And um, but this guy, Sheriff Jones, I think it was uh, was his name out of Ohio. He just did a conference about a week ago, and he was in. Um, like a some kind of a three day long thing with FBI and all these things and uh, telling him what's going on and he came back to kind of spill the beans but he spilled the beans in front of the cameras and he's saying they are under cyber attack every single day even in his little town there in Ohio they're trying to get in get into the infrastructure and sabotage even them he said three times a day they're getting attacked by China and I think he might have said Iran or something like that. Every well, single not day. If not attacked, just seeded with worms that can yeah. be remotely detonated. He said they want to get in. They want to. They want to take down our infrastructure, and and throw us into chaos. Those are his words, not you know, not mine. Right. Um, but by the way, this is you know, not. This is not. This is not a secret, right? Like we 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 do the same thing. Like we're not, you know, it's not it's not one sided, right? But yeah, but it's it's one thing to talk about it, but it's, it's in in my mind anyway. It's it's another thing to hear him say it. You know, yeah, listen, I'm telling you, this is happening to us all the time. Every single day, this is happening to us. And then it's like, ooh, you know, that's not you know conspiracy. You know, late night talk show talking about it. This is the sheriff talking about it. Um, so it, it's it's concern. It's a, it's very, it's concerning, you know. And this is, you think that this is associated with the civil unrest that you may have seen? In that session, um, the, the cyber attack session, mm -hmm. um, my, my it perception. It sounds like it was orderly. 
It sounds like it was relatively orderly, actually. Based on the, what you were the civil unrest element. No, 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 no. The when you were talking about people engaging in transactions, they were writing things down on paper, and it sounds relatively more orderly than one might expect, at least from well, the the uh, the feeling of it was that, and, and, I'm, and I'm trying to remember this exactly from my from my session was in the rail in the realm of sixty to seventy percent of the infrastructure is down. Uh, okay. That's, that's By the bad. way, for folks who are just joining us, you're listening to United Public Radio. I'm interviewing next generation remote viewer Edward Reardon. So, but like I say, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, if I'm wrong and nothing like that ever happens, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a good thing remote viewers are not 100. percent I mean, if they were, it would be a very. Uh, It'd be crazy. You know, we, we, We'd have a heads up, but <laughs> it'd be crazy. Yeah. Well, I don't think I don't know if it's entirely because because it would change behavior, right? It would it would absolutely change behavior, so that might precipitate some other effect. Good. Right. Definitely. So, uh, any? Uh, well, I mean, we still still have about eight minutes. So, is there anything that we didn't discuss that you know you want to? you want to kind of explore let's see um probably something to give people a little hope a little hope <laughs> right? yeah a little hope a little hope the end of the um, well cryptocurrencies are up uh so if anybody has any investment in those um they're doing well um it seems that the you know the crypto uh, as was suggested to me as well, is um, you know part of the the transition out of uh, the, the the fiat system and into a more digital system. Cryptocurrency plays a, a or role Or it's just a mechanism for by which the intelligence community raises black budgets and things like that that are outside Absolutely, of the. Man. Absolutely. You know. Nobody goes without getting. You know, they're they're going to get their cut one way or another. You know, uh, but you know. As it happens, uh, cryptocurrencies are up uh, for now. So that's a positive thing uh, for those who are invested in crypt cryptocurrencies. Um, I mean, a po on a positive note, I mean, you know, what's positive for me is, is uh, doing remote viewing and exploring the process of remote viewing. You know, that, that, that to me is human potential and, and getting f deeper into the potentials that the dormant potentials that we have inside of the human being and in my opinion, it's, it's limitless. I mean, the things that we can do is like, I've said this for years, remote viewing and describing a, the, the quote unquote target is like kindergarten training wheels stuff compared to what we are potential is. And, um, and in my opinion, uh, our potential is getting, uh, getting a bit of a boost. And I, in my opinion, AI can assist in that as long as we don't go, you know, crazy and turn it into the Terminator or something like that. Um, best case scenario could be a great companion for that. And uh, so I look at it that way. And, and in that, it's uh, I'm very optimistic about that because the, the, the potential of the human being is incredible. It's limitless what we what we can do, what we're the dormantness. We're dormant in a lot of ways. 
And uh, in my opinion, that's starting to get cracked open. And I'm very happy about that. Now, if people want to remote or learn how to remote view, what would your advice be? I know you all, you talked a little bit about they could just go to your website and or your YouTube channel and just start watching the videos to get a good sense for it. What else can they do to unlock this capability? Come on, this was well, something that basically everybody can do, right? Yeah, pretty much. Now, just like with anything, some people are going to you know do better and than other people, right. just like, you know, if you're playing basketball or whatever. Yeah, not um, everybody can be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Yeah, that's right. But, you know, if you got arms and, you know, and a working physical body, you can throw a basketball, you know? Um, but luckily for people in today's era, there are a lot of resources available for people online. You can take courses. There are some free courses up there that that uh, if people want to try, you can download the military, uh, the military CRV manual and read through that. If you wanted to try to comprehend that yourself, you can sign up for classes with people and get training with people. Uh, Future forecasting group. We do offer some, uh, we do offer training there and several different styles of remote viewing. People can, that's an option for people. So there's a lot of options for people out there. Excuse me to begin to uh, explore that within themselves and see what they can do and, uh, and go from there. You know, why not try it? It's just, it's there, try it and see what you can do. You, you're more than likely you're going to surprise yourself uh, if you put some time and, and energy into it. You know, it's an amazing thing. It really is the potential of the human being. So if you want to explore that remote viewing is one is one of those things to, to, show you something that is really beyond uh you know normal quote unquote reality of what um, you may think we're capable of it's amazing what was the uh, the last question for you uh unless it unless it goes unless it goes dark if it goes dark and you could just stop me Uh what's the strangest target you've had Strangest. I understand. It's much easier. It's much easier. I know. I know. It's it's an easy generic term. It's a shorthand, right? Um, the strangest was probably uh, one of my favorites, which was the Xenon One detector, mm-hmm. and um, why it was so strange and why I love that session so much is because uh, there is the probability that I had perceived a weakly interacting massive particle, which is what the a Xenon did. A wimp. A wimp. Right. And that's, it's literally that's, called that. It's not, they're we're called not, we're a wimp. making fun of it. It's that's right. right. And that's, that's what they're detecting with that device uh, under that mountain, you know. And that was what I was asked to remote view. And, um, and I did. And I described something inside of this, of that chamber and had a, my own little experience with it. And I, and I, and I think that there's a probability that it was a weekly interacting massive particle that I saw. Cause they're very rare, described. right? They're extremely rare. Correct. They're very difficult to detect. They're always mm. zipping through, you know, they may be zipping through you right now. But they're very, very difficult to detect. 
and that's why they had to build a, a laboratory underneath a granite mountain, fill it with xenon, uh, and do all the other things that they had to do to in, in an attempt to try to capture or not capture one, but detect one zipping through. And that was when I was asked to remote view. Thank God I was so, I loved it. It was amazing. And of course, I'm completely blind to the target. But a, after I got the reveal, and that was when the dust didn't come starting. After that, mm -hmm. I was talking to him and, and we had to contemplate whether or not by me remote viewing it, quote unquote, did I influence it in some way? Did I influence the machine in some way? You know, I don't know, but it was it was a it was a great thing to contemplate. You know, what if it was one of those great what if things to contemplate? You know, I've reached out to the Xenon people that work there, uh, sent them the videos, and the response back is. I don't know what the hell I'm looking at here. <laughs> you know, they, they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Well, you know? if you try to look, if you look at pictures of this machine, like if, if you saw a picture of it, you couldn't describe it, right? If you had to describe a picture, like if you looked at the picture, it would be because it's just it's, it's just massive and it's hard to to visualize, right? As you're because I looked at it after I interviewed you, yeah, on one of our sessions, and I yeah. I like I wouldn't be able to describe that because there's just so many gears and I know you know, I know. weird elements of it and yeah so anyway yeah fascinating it, it you know I love that they built that thing I love that someone came up with the concept I love that they put all the time and the energy and the money into developing and building that thing and I'm just it's just I love that that human beings are so endlessly obsessively curious that we build things like that <laughs> you know what i mean and that is that's you know human that is the human being we are insatiably curious you know and sometimes we lead ourselves in the wrong way and we do a lot of bad things but we do good things too and and we want to understand we just want to know we want to understand things and, and there's no stopping that you know, without killing us all, you know, you know, we are just insatiably curious creatures. All right, my friend, it has been absolutely riveting and I hope the audience enjoyed. It looks like they did. A lot, I hope so. so. I hope so. Yeah. So it was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, we'll to many more of these discussions. Thanks so much, Sean. As always great, always great being on your show. And, and, uh, thank you so much for inviting me up. Thank you, everyone. Good night, good luck, and have a fantastic beginning of the week. Talk soon.